is Phoenix FM. Hi, this is Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull, and you're listening to Stuart Pink on Phoenix FM. On 98FM and online, this is Phoenix FM. Welcome to the As Yet Untitled Rock Show on Phoenix FM, the sound of Saturday night and your weekly dose of rock music. We have a very, very special show tonight. The first one we've done featuring a specific artist. Tonight, we are featuring Jethro Tull. If you've never heard of him uh, before, then you've probably been living under a rock, let's be honest. Uh, but we're, we're going to introduce him if you've not heard of Jethro Tull. If you have heard of Jethro Tull, but don't really know much about him, uh, then we'll get you right up to speed tonight. Uh, and if you're an expert... On all things Jethro Tull, then, I think this is the show for you. Because not only are we playing a whole load of Jethro Tull songs on the Asher Untitled Rock Show, we are speaking to the one, the only, Ian Anderson. Lead singer, songwriter, guitarist, uh, flautist, flautist, flutist, uh, <laughs> the prog rock god himself is on the show. We'll be talking to Ian about some of the history of Jethro Tull, some of the songs, how he writes music, some of his inspirations. It's a really interesting chat. Genuinely great guy, so intelligent and genuine rock hero on the As Yet Untired Rock Show tonight. We even get to talk to him about soup and what he doesn't want for Christmas. I mean, how intimate can you get? So if you're a Jeff Rotel fan, then this is absolute gold. If you're not, then you will be a Jeff Rotel fan by the end of the show because there's literally something for everyone to enjoy here tonight. Uh, I will probably squeeze in a few extra tracks as well from other bands uh, that we talk about throughout the course of the night as well as you go through the chronology of things and you'll even hear from Ian as well uh, as to why I opened the show with Cream tonight. Uh, but uh, to begin the show, we're starting with a track that most people will have heard before. Uh, this is from Jethro Tull's first non- UK number one album, Stand Up. Uh, it's called Living in the Past. And then we'll talk to Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull. Yep, just said that. This happened. This is happening. Oh, my God.
Ian Anderson, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, it is uh, very nice to be with you, and um, and um, people say to me, as they often do, how are you today? As a, an opening gambit, I say, well, about the same as yesterday, <laughs> which means pretty much fine, you know. Continuity is everything at my age. <laughs> Keep it level. That's, that's good. <laughs> oh, cool. We'll, uh, we'll get on to more current affairs soon, but I want to uh, just, just relive a little moment in musical history, because my, my Uncle Gerald is a huge fan of yours, and uh, he's always providing me with little gems of information. And uh, he, he tells me that uh, way back in the time when you recorded Aqualung, you were in the same building at the same time as Led Zeppelin, two legendary albums and great British bands uh, of all time. What was it like being around uh, that place at that time? Well, it was. Um, we were, you know, well aware they were in the. They were actually in the crypt in the basement part of what it was a converted church in Basing Street in in London that Island Records had uh, set up. Yeah. And Zeppelin were in the rather smaller, cosier, um, acoustically nicer small space, and and we were in this cavernous sort of body of the church, which was a horrendous Ooh. acoustic to work in. It yeah, was. A, it was really not very nice. I think on one occasion when they were. Having a day off, we managed to use the the other studio, which was much nicer. But, but but we didn't really see them because I think largely we tended to work as I always have done. You know, I'm I'm a morning guy. I like to I like to uh, I like to get cracking in the day, and so probably much of the time, you know, we were we were already hard at work in the studio when they arrived, and we were probably. Uh, you know, um, on the last tube home while they were just getting into um, <laughs> pressing up. the red button and recording something. So we didn't yeah. actually really interface at all. I remember on one occasion um, when Martin was recording the guitar solo, Martin, our guitar player, was recording the guitar solo in the in the, the title track, Aqualung. Jimmy Page walked into the control room and was, you know, was sort of cheering Martin on when he was <laughs> playing live in the studio. And it was actually the take. It was the one that we we used and um, I think Martin was you know terrified to see Jimmy on the (laughs) other side of the window sort of egging him on and um, but he delivered a great guitar solo perhaps as a result so but yeah that was about the only time I ever remember running into any of them
As Ian was literally just telling us, recorded at quite literally exactly the same time as Led Zeppelin were recording Led Zeppelin 4 in the room underneath them. I mean, like, seriously, what was in the water back then? <laughs> just trying to imagine what it must have been like. Recording your guitar solo and Jimmy Page just walks in to check it out. Like, amazing, amazing. Martin Barr, the uh, aforementioned guitarist, of course, clearly was not put off uh, in any way. <laughs> Absolutely nailed it. Uh, let's rejoin then Ian Addison and hear a bit more about the relationship between Jethro Toll and Led Zeppelin. Phoenix 98 FM. The, the, the thing about Zeppelin, you have to remember, they, 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 were, they were a steamrollering, powerful presence in, in rock music and particularly in the USA. So uh, we were on tour with, actually we, we were the opening act for Led Zeppelin in a few places in in 1969 on our second tour they'd preceded us by about six months i think in america initially as the new yardbirds and then as led zeppelin with the first album so they they were riding high in terms of popularity when we were just relatively unknown and so we kind of caught them up a little bit here and there and um but there was a lot of competition perhaps um between jethro tal and led zeppelin and I mean, a competition. I think that they they won fairly and squarely nine times out of ten. It was uh, Zeppelin with a with a big act, and um, they they were, I think, almost unequal for a period of time. Uh, they 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 took on the mantle, in fact, that their predecessors, Cream, had done in America. You know, yeah. Cream, perhaps in 1967, 68, had become a, an enormous, powerful force for new blues-based inventive hard rock music and that was um led zeppelin stepped into that vacuum really when when uh, cream came to an end filled the gap obviously inspired by uh, by your book <laughs> well i i think that the the you know we we were kind of going a slightly different direction i at zeppelin you know if they'd had another few more years i think were were actually became more and more uh, interested in the same kind of rather eclectic balance of, of styles and genres mm. as as I was as a songwriter. And so Jimmy Page and Robert Plant were, were kind of moving towards much more folky acoustic sounds and world music sounds. And I think that would have shaped a lot of their future if they'd, uh, if they'd you know, been able to stay together as a, a band and carry on working together. And um, yeah. it... Uh, you know, Zeppelin were becoming more and more uh, a progressive rock band, a prog band rather than a, rather than a hard rock uh, blues band, which is how they began.
Led Zeppelin, rock and roll from Led Zeppelin 4, recorded just next door. The same day, probably, maybe. <laughs> no big deal. Uh, this is the Asset Untitled Rock Show on Phoenix FM with me, Stuart Pink. If you are joining us, just joining us for the part, we've been uh, doing a Jethro Toll special tonight. We're part three through special edition, and uh, we're talking to probably the most famous flute player of all time, Ian Anderson, singer-songwriter, guitarist, and all-round rock legend from Jethro Toll. Now, Jeff Rotolt had achieved their first UK number one album with Stand Up and then went into the studio, uh, the same building as Led Zeppelin. Still, still can't really believe that. Absolutely amazing. Imagine, imagine the star-studded lineup at the urinal. Go for all... <laughs> You go for a slash and Jimmy Page one side, Ian Anderson the other side. Oh, just oh, unbelievable. Uh, anyway, Jeff Rotol were recording the follow-up to Stand Up, uh, which became Aqualung. It was a slight change in style for the band, moving from more more folk rock uh, into more uh, progressive rock. So uh, let's let's rejoin Ian Anderson. Phoenix ninety eight FM. What was it like following a, a number one album with a bit of a shift into a more progressive uh, uh, sound? I think with every every record you make, who, whoever you are, whether you're Ed Sheeran or, you know, Steel Eye Span, I mean, you're always going to be concerned about the next record. Is it going to uh, uh, be as successful, less successful, more successful than the previous one? Uh, you know, it's a bit like being a professional boxer or a yeah. tournament tennis player. You know, you, you're, your own worst enemy is your own best work. It's uh, You're constantly being judged by you know, by the best thing you've ever done. And um, it, it, it's it's tough, you know, but that's what you do, whether you're whether it's your next novel or your next um, Wimbledon. You know, you are you are being judged by your own by your by your own best performance. And, and you are your own uh, worst enemy in that sense. You're the most competitor, uh, competitive. It, it, it's it's in you, you know, and of course, it's difficult. Of course, you you uh, you will have your doubts and your nagging worries, but you've just got to put that aside and try and concentrate on just doing the best thing you can at the time and accept that if sometimes it doesn't uh, ultimately live up to your own hopes, let alone those of your um, your record buyers or audience members, then that's just, that's going to happen. Yeah. But British people are, are usually quite loyal you know they they it's not necessarily they're forgiving but ultimately they are, they are loyal and there are some other i hate national stereotypes but there are some national tendencies from certain other countries to to be um uh you know have this rather flirtatious relationship with whatever contemporary pop success or rock success there might be and then a year or two later they they abandon you and go off after the next new thing. Yeah, yeah. It does tend does tend to happen in certain countries, but the you know other countries where that loyalty thing is is really quite important, and and it seems to be something that is culturally very much a part of people's uh, temperament. Either is there or it isn't, and and um, British people I think do have that in spades. You know, it's uh, something that. I think uh, epitomizes British people happily for dear old Cliff Richard. You know his audience, who have not yet are not yet dead, uh, are still his huge greatest loyal fans.
to the cinema and leave you in a wimpy bar. You tell me that we've gone too far. Come running up to me. Make the scene at Cousin Jack's. Leave him to put the bottles back. Men's his glasses that are cracked. Well, that's one up to me. Hey. Hung far too wide when it was up to me. Fires down on your bicycle, you know it feels like an icicle. The yellow fingered smoky girl is looking up to me. If it pleases me, I'll put one on your man <laughs> when the copper fades away. And if I laughed a bit too fast, well, it was up to me. Take you to the cinema and leave you in a wimpy bar. You tell me that we've gone too far, come running up to me. to me Jethro Tull so we're joined on the phone by frontman of the band and rock legend Ian Anderson uh, we just touched on what it's like to be in a position where the most loyal fans who have followed you for a long time some of them their whole lives uh, do inevitably age uh, and let's rejoin Ian as we talk about uh, being a rock star and dealing with the more emotional aspects of getting older with your fans Phoenix 98 FM I too certainly find more and more often I am being asked to, uh, you know, give a an affectionate hug to some fan I've never met before who's currently in at the end of life, you know, with little time to go, and you have, uh, mm. you know, sometimes that difficult difficult moment of uh, of meeting somebody for the first and last time, knowing that they they won't see next Christmas and. Um, it's just a fact of life. People, you know, who uh, are in any way in the public eye are often, it means such a lot to, to a dying person to just have that little 
moment. You know, it's almost like yeah, yeah, yeah. now now they can let go. And uh, there are people I know who who do that uh, every year, and uh, I, my my hat goes off to them because they they really do have to go and do that not just once a week, but you know, perhaps several times a day. I mean, I have a, 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 a priestly friend who counsels the, uh, the sick and dying um, as a matter of regular um, good administration of the Church of England. And, you know, he, he, we were talking about this just last week. And, you know, it's something very difficult because you have to kind of learn, the, learn how to do it. You have certain little kind of things you say and things you don't say and mm. you've still got to make the, the judgment based on personality individuality and circumstances as to whether you you know how much to say and how little to say to someone who is in that position but um, I imagine I imagine for a lot of us you know we do have to accept that some of our older fans are, are not in great shape and um, it reminds us on the one hand of how lucky we are to enjoy reasonably good health and and not have to retire yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my fishing rod is still uh, in pieces in the cupboard. I have no intention of getting it out anytime soon. Or the, uh, or the golf club set that some <laughs> professional golfer bought me as a present many years ago, which I have yet to take the clubs out. They're still covered in little neat cellophane wrappings. <laughs> golf and fishing, that's some, that's, uh, if, it, if it's in my future, I hope it's a long way off. Like all the nights on Southern 
The Whistler. It's a Jeff Rotel special tonight on the Azure Untitled Rock Show with me, Stuart Pegg. We are going to talk to Ian Addison in just a moment about the very English theme you can very clearly pick up uh, on in their music and also uh, a little more detail about their 10th studio album and another major turning point in their history of the band. The first of a, a trio, really, of uh, folk rock albums that began with Songs from the Wood in 1977. Uh, this is the title track. Uh, from Songs of the Wood and we'll chat to Ian Anderson a bit more after this Let me bring you songs from the wood To make you feel much better than you could know Better than you could know Dust you down from tip to toe Dust you down from tip to toe Show you how the garden grows Show you how the garden grows Hold you steady as you go Hold steady as you join the chorus if you can It'll make of you an honest man Let me bring you love from the fields Poppies, red and roses filled with summer rain To heal the wound and still the pain The threatens again and again As you drag down every lover's lane Life's long celebrations here Let me bring you all things you find Gallyhides and lute songs served in chilling ale Greetings, well met fellow hail I am the winter fill your sail I am the frost to take your nail A singer of these ageless times With kitchen pros and gutter
You mentioned uh, you mentioned there about uh, you know English English fans specifically. Um, I know songs from the wood uh, is, is obviously got a very strong English feel to it. So does a lot of your other songs. Uh, I'm curious because you said that you you know you, you were hot on the tails of Led Zeppelin with the US tours and stuff like that. Were you ever worried that you were going to cut fans off from America by you know um, writing sort of English themed uh, material so strongly, or uh, is that? Uh, come from a love of the country that you, you do that? Well, it, well, there's two things, really. I mean, I began because that's what you had to do to get a gig back in 67, 68, being sort of musically more aligned to black American blues. Yeah. But I knew that, you know, number one, I wasn't black. Number two, I wasn't American. And perhaps importantly, number three, I was not someone who could claim any ownership of that culture, of that... Uh, of that historical essence of, of what black American music is about. I, and, and all I could do at best would be to imitate and, you know, white middle class, you know, pasty face, pimply British youth, you know, trying to sing the blues of the, uh, of, uh, you know, Delta music or Mississippi music or Chicago blues. It, you know, it was an imitation. I, I didn't feel right trying to do that. And yeah. there were plenty of others who, you know, made a living out of it and uh, did very well and put their own spin on black American music. Eric Clapton, obviously, is a supremo in that regard. And 
and an American equivalent, uh, Joe Bonamassa, has made a living um, with since an early age. When he first toured with Jethro Tull, this little boy, um, he was, uh, you know, he, he, he is he's part of the continuing nature of that spearheading what blues is all about. But, you know, some people manage to put their spin on it and kind of uh, give it dignity. I'm not sure that I was able to do that. I would have been a poor imitator at best, so I felt it necessary to try and look for other musical influences, which I found in, in uh, European music and in British music, in British terms, more from... Irish and Scottish and English folk music and European music, more from classical music, but also little smatterings of Asian music or Scandinavian music, things that crept into my um, awareness of other musical genres and other musical, um, you know, geographical and, and cultural different styles. But that, that's what, I guess, Progressive rock was about it was it was looking outside of uh, of the narrow world that you might have been born into and so whilst I have a reverence for the music of my own culture, growing up as a you know in a relatively Christian society in Scotland, you know my awareness of music was simply Scottish folk music and church music. That that was the first thing I heard, followed by yeah. my father's um, small collection of seventy eight RPM wartime big band jazz records yeah so um that's what led me into blues eventually as a teenager and uh but then as a slightly older teenager i started to begin to remind myself of uh of folk music and in, indeed in my early 20s then into classical music and other music forms so you know it, it's all out there it's all it's all stuff that can inspire you and give you uh give you that uh, that kickstart as a musician to to get excited about something and rather like a chef in the kitchen you know blending herbs and spices and root vegetables and yeah. things that have had a face on them if you're not a vegetarian then you know that's part <laughs> of that's part of the mix and matching that is sometimes doomed to failure and sometimes uh, produces this vigorous exciting hybrid uh, that that's what chefs do that's what I think us progressive rock musicians do too. Look for some new flavour. Exactly. You know, it's, uh, it is all about, you know, trying a little bit of that, adding this and seeing if that spices things up in a way. And But as I say, sometimes you get it wrong and you come up with something that's really quite, quite, quite a mess and un unpalatable, whether it's music or indeed letting me loose in the kitchen, which uh, <laughs> is uh, not necessarily a bad idea, but you probably wouldn't want to eat what I cook. <laughs> Sometimes a bit too experimental for your own good. <laughs> well, it tends. It tends. First of all, I, I'm a specialist in sludgy soups that usually look grey. <laughs> I, I love Polish soups because they, they do really great soups, and and uh, my soups tend to be. Um, they all tend to look the same. I mean, it looks like something. <laughs> looks like you know when you have to clear up cat vomit. It's a little <laughs> bit like that. It's, 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 it doesn't doesn't um, doesn't inspire people to want to dip a spoon in it. You know. <laughs> Fun excuses for the lateness of the hour, but we accept your invitation and we'll bring you melting flour. For the mayday is never 
Hi, this is Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull, and you're listening to Stuart Pink on Phoenix FM.
leather feet pounding the dust on October's day towards evening. Sweat embossed veins standing proud to the plow. Salt on a deep chest seasoning. Last of the line that on his day's toil. Turning the deep sod under Flint at the fetlock chasing the bird Flies at the nostrils blunder The Suffolk, the Clydesdale, the Percheron vine With a shine on his feathers floating Hauling soft timber into the dusk to bed on a warm straw coating For your proud stallion seed To keep the old line going And we'll stand you abreast At the back of the woods Behind the young trees Growing To hide you from eyes That mock at your girth Your eighteen hands at the shoulder and one day when the oil barons have all dripped dry And the nights are seen to draw colder They'll beg for your strength, your gentle power Your noble grace and your very And you'll strain once again to the sound of the guns In the wake of the deep love
feet pounding the dust An October's day towards evening Sweat embossed veins standing proud to the plow Song on a deep chest sees me Bring me a wheel of oak and wood A ring of polished leather A heavy horse and a tumbling sky Brewing heavy weather Heavy Horses, title track from the album released in 1978. If you're just joining us here on Phoenix FM, we're part through a special edition of the As Yet Untitled Rock Show with me, Stuart Pink. This is the Jeffro Toll special, and we're covering the remarkable history, looking back on uh, now over 50 years of Jeffro Toll. We'll be speaking to frontman and prog rock icon Ian Anderson again very shortly. Uh, but first, this track is from the last in what's considered to be uh, a bit of a folk rock trio. From the album Stormwatch, uh, this is a song called Elegy. Uh, it's often rumoured uh, to be a homage to the bassist John Glasscock, who was very ill at the time and sadly would die shortly after the album's release. Uh, but the song is actually an elegy to David Palmer, the keyboardist's father, uh, and it's one of the few tracks, actually, that Glasscock actually plays on the album. Uh, this is Elegy, and we'll rejoin Ian Anderson afterwards. Thank you. 
Beautiful. Elegy from the album Stormwatch. Uh, now, we're going to go back to Ian Addison of Jeffro Toll. We're talking about another Cornerstone album and a new direction for the band after they had to take a bit of time out for some various reasons. Uh, but I was interested to hear about what it's like to reinvent yourself as a band and what comes with, with doing that. Phoenix 98FM. You uh, you mentioned you know, reinventing your sound and, and trying bits from different areas and stuff. I think Crest of a Knave was another uh, a huge success for Jeff O'Toole, uh, but for, for years uh, you've had a bit of time out and had, obviously had a, a throat infection and a few issues there. Um, it must have been a massive challenge, not just because of the time out, but because of the, the way it affected your vocals to navigate a, a change in style like that. What was that like at that time? Crest of a Knave was, was, was not a, I mean, that, that, was, that was a biggie in America, you know, won a Grammy, but uh, I don't think it was, it was not so successful in other countries as some other albums. I mean, Songs from the Wood was probably a, bigger in the UK than it was in America. Mm, yeah. um, the album Broadsword and the Beast was, was a, our biggest selling record in Germany, but not necessarily, well, certainly not in the USA. So you, you do find that certain records appeal to, again, certain national kind of tendencies to, to go with a certain thing. Um, but that's, that's okay. You know, I, I feel there are people who, that, you know, there are people who will regard Jethro Tull as a folk rock band, those who regard Jethro Tull as a progressive rock band. There are those who regard Jethro Tull as a sort of hard rock or you know, whatever band, uh, some who regard Jethro Tull still as a kind of a blues band with a bit of uh, attitude. It's um, the, <laughs> Jethro Tull fits the description of many people who don't like everything we've done, but like some of it, and, and that, that's good enough for me. I think uh, that's um, you know, if you can feel that you've you've um, pleased most of the people some of the time, that that's that that in itself is quite a quite a quite a big a big feeling of you know having had a bit of an accolade of people say well i really liked uh, i really like this album that that one but you know yeah. the others were stinkers well i'm still <laughs> grateful for the couple that they did like Stately hero, international competition in the year. She was a good enough reason for a party. Well, you couldn't keep up on a hard track mile. While she ran a perfect circle, then she wore a perfect smile. Hot nights in Budapest We had a cozy up in the whole gymnasium Dusting off the mandolins and checking on the gear She was helping out at the backstage Stopping hearts and chilling beer 
Yes, and her legs went on forever Like staring up at divinity Through a wisp of cotton panty Along the skin of setting sea Hot night to the best The heat, feel it back with the wrong side of the night. Feel it blowing from the side fields. Feel like you were playing for your life. If not the money. Hot night in Budapest. She bent down to lower the ice box. Just got some more water, white wine in Like some weird unearthly vision Wearing on a t-shirt, pants and skin You know it ripples just a hit the muscle But the boys and me were heading west So we left her to the late crew
speak much English language She didn't speak much anyway She wouldn't make love But she could make good sandwich She poured sweet wine before we played Hey, go to best
Jethro Tull, Budapest, from the 1987 album Crest of a Knave. I really think that that's uh, such a different sound for Tull, uh, but it definitely beautifully combines so many elements, and it's also so many different instruments as well. Uh, I was keen to find out more about the instruments that Ian plays, and also where songwriting generally begins. So, uh, for him, anyway, let's, let's, let's rejoin Ian Anderson and find out. Phoenix 98 FM. You're uh, you're obviously a master of so many different instruments. Uh, obviously, famously traded in your uh, your electric guitar for a flute in the early days. Where do you uh, you most often sort of start to write a song and write your music? Is that our favourite instrument you use? Well, uh, tra- traditionally over the years, usually been a guitar because I have one to hand. And when I was you know travelling around, or even when I'm travelling around today, there's a guitar in my bedroom you know in my hotel room with a tra- guitar with me all the time so yeah. it, it tended to be the the instrument that was always there that the flute being a monophonic instrument it only plays one note at a time it, it's sometimes good for getting ideas about melody or getting a, a little riff a little some some repeating motif you know it's quite often things have come out of just playing the flute but mm. more often it's the guitar and from well, sometimes, particularly, I guess, in the maybe in the eighties, more so than I would use keyboards when uh, electric pianos and synthesizers and things became compact and had the the offer of of lots of different sounds and textures that you could call up at the press of a button. Then that that became a useful songwriting tool, but. There are other songs that I've written because I pick up an instrument that I can't play and mm. something immediately comes to mind when I fumble and try to articulate something. I come up with some ideas that I would never have come up with if I did it on a guitar. So if I pick up a mandolin, I'm going to come up with a different tune, a different idea than I would ever on a guitar. Yeah. And so there have been two or three songs that were written using the mandolin, or probably more than that, maybe half a dozen songs I've written using a mandolin, hmm. uh, or a bazooki, or, or uh, um, I would I would like to think, you know, some stringed instrument like a violin or a brass instrument like a trumpet. But in fact, I've played those things very very poorly. But but because of limits on my technical ability, I tend to find something that's very um, simple, very direct. And that's sometimes a very useful thing to have. The, the, the better yeah. you play an instrument, the harder it is to strip it back to musical essential elements again because your, your musical ability is too advanced and you, you tend to uh, not so easily grasp the simple things that are very effective. So as a, yeah. as a, as a, a very untutored, unskilled keyboard player, I would come up with things that you know, were sometimes quite simple ideas, but uh, I would never have done that if I'd done it on a guitar, for example. Or certainly not on a flute, because, you know, my flute playing over the years have tended to, you know, get better at it rather than worse. And so I guess, um, you know, whilst if I'm writing an instrumental piece of music, the flute is very useful, but it's not necessarily going to be music that is going to suit the electric guitar, for example. Sure. That's interesting. Yeah, if you're if you're less uh, able to play it to a fantastic standard, then you, you might sort of create something. Yeah, well, I, I think you, fi- you find you find that in a lot of uh, simple um, 
successful pop music that it is played by people who can't really play their instruments and, and the degree to which they can summon up a few notes is remarkably simple and sometimes incredibly poignant. Uh, Gary Newman, for example, in the synth pop days came up with these great little motifs you know, as a keyboard player that couldn't really play keyboards, you know, he was a, he came up with some great songs, you know, that I don't think a professional tutored keyboard player would ever think of or be satisfied in playing. Yeah. Um, you know, Mark Armand and Soft Cell, again, this came from a, an approach of not being, you know, necessarily skilled, um, uh, academically trained musicians. I mean, I, you know, I, I know because I work with Mark Armand from time to time on, on various things, and there's no point in talking about key changes or tempos or time signatures to Mark. <laughs> he doesn't live in that world. Don't get it, but, you yeah. know, the world he lives in is about a melody and delivery and a, you know, kind of a theatrical way of performing. And so, you know, everybody sometimes, I think, benefits from just not having too much musical knowledge. I mean, the whole punk generation of music in the um, mid to late 70s that derived from people who really couldn't play their instruments you know they they um they could quite often play them maybe a little better than they let on and there were bands like uh who who rode on the coattails of punk like uh, the stranglers or or the or the police you know who were actually pretty good musicians it's just they um they they knew instinctively keep it simple don't 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 let it be too obvious that we actually really can play quite well you know it yeah. was it was fashionable to not be able to play very well and and um i think when you look at bands who've had huge success from very simple music like perhaps status quo you know they they after their first little bit of pop flirtation at, right at the beginning of their careers they became the ultimate three chord trick band you know they played yeah, kind famous. of boogie 12 bar yeah. blues and and they did it with a such conviction and such perfection that um there was no point in anybody else trying really you know they, they had that world <laughs> totally sewn up and you know bless them that was uh, for you know for generations of people the it, it was the ultimate straight ahead rock music that really connected with people uh, simple driving no pretensions to uh, anything too musical but you know i'm quite sure that francis rossi is uh, a much better player than he than ever was really evident in perhaps the the, the popular um classics of of um of status quo you know it's, uh, it's uh, sometimes people just know they have that wisdom to realize let's just let's just yeah. not 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 trying to be clever here. Keep it simple. Whereas bands like Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Yes and the early Genesis, it was all about showing off and demonstrating your instrumental prowess. And um, I'd like to think that maybe Jethro Tull is somewhere in between those extremes. You know, we certainly weren't uh, status quo, but on the other hand, we weren't um, we weren't Yes either. You know, we it was a little bit a little bit more rough and ready than your average prog band.
squeezing in a little cheeky bit of status quo. <laughs> Seemed rude, not too really, as we're talking about. You're listening to the Azure on Title Box show with me, Stuart Pink, here on Phoenix FM. We're going uh, through a Jeffro Toll special, and with none other than arguably the world's greatest prog rock, prog rock band, Jeffro Toll. And we're speaking to Ian Anderson on the phone. Uh, we've been playing a whole load of Jeffro Toll songs, great tracks, in amongst a conversation with the prog rock god himself. Uh, so we're going to talk about instruments. Well, we've talked about instruments already. The ones he can play. I wanted to know uh, more about the ones he can't play. Phoenix 98 FM. If there are any. <laughs> so is there, is there an instrument that's on your Christmas list then? Well, the, the, the instrument I would love to have been able to play is the violin, but that's uh, an instrument that requires such dedication and, and formal training, really, I think, to do to yeah. do a decent job. It, it's way, way beyond me. I mean, I've owned a violin or two in my time and cello and other things, but you know, apart from... Um, using them to sample some notes for digital sampling to perform using a keyboard. I've rarely ever played anything. I don't think I've ever played on an album with a cello. I did play a little bit of violin on a track once, uh, um, some little part of Thick as a Brick. But um, no, it's, it's an instrument I would love to be able to play. But if it was, if it was under the Christmas tree waiting my uh, attention, um, I would... I would assume that everybody had put it there and then left home because the, 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 it, you know, it would, it would sound like, um, you know, one of my cats getting his tail caught in an electric socket or something. If I attempted to play that, it'd be, it'd be definitely not a kindness to family and friends to witness my attempts to play a violin. <laughs> Inflict that upon them is a, a tough one to get right. Yeah. Well, my daughter, uh, um, my, sorry, my granddaughter, uh, wanted to, take up the saxophone and I, I I felt duty bound to say to her parents, look, do you think it's a, this is a good idea? The saxophone is actually quite loud and it's a really annoying noise. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I was um, persuaded it was okay to give her a or loan a couple of saxophones. So she now plays saxophone and um, Tolerably well, I believe, from what I've uh, from what I've been told. Although she <laughs> she's not yet got the confidence to play in front of me, but um, uh-huh. but uh, yes, it's, it's nice to think that uh, people do um, benefit from the various instruments. And I gave my daughter a flute when she was about eight years old at school, and uh, yeah. saxophone to my granddaughter, and um, um, so far have avoided. Actually, I, my son took up the drums, but on strict, uh, strict instructions that it had to be an electronic kit of drums so that he could plug into it and we wouldn't <laughs> hear a thing because it's just these little rubber pads you hit. Yeah. Um, so he could practice without really annoying the, the household. But he went on to play on, on my orchestral shows um, as the drummer because he was oh, yeah. you know, cautious and quiet and had learned enough technique and... Uh, so he was he was uh, he was the drummer for a while, and he played drums with Jethro Tull in a full rock band context a few times too. Oh, cool! But um, um, my granddaughter will be since she is now in her secondary school and is in the choir. I will ho- hopefully see joining me on stage at one of our great British cathedrals, if not next year, the year after, to to uh, sing a solo. So um, I look forward to having her on stage with me at some point.
When you've fallen awake And you take stock of the new day And you hear your voice croak As you choke on what you need to say Well don't you fret, don't you fear I will give you good cheer Life's a long song Life's a long song Life's a long song If you wait then you play it I will fail As the verses unfold And your soul suffers the long day And the twelve o'clock bloom spins the room You struggle on your way Well, don't you sigh, don't you cry Lick the dust from your eye Life's a long song Life's a long song Life's a long song We will meet in the sweet light of dawn As the Baker Street train your pain all over your new dress And the symphony sounds underground But you wanted you to rest Well don't you squeal as the heel Grinds you under the wheels Life's a long song Life's a long song Life's a long song But the tune ends too soon for us all Really don't mind if you sit this one out My words but a whisper, deafness, a shout I may make you feel that I can't make you think Your sperm's in the gutter, your love's in the sink So you ride yourselves over the fields And you make all your animal deals And your wise men don't know how it feels You'd be thick as a brick
castle virtues are all swept away In the tidal destruction, the moral malaise The elastic retreat rings the close of play As the last wave uncovers the new-fangled way But your new shoes are worn at the heels And your suntans rapidly peel And your wise men don't know how it feels To be thick as a brick And the love that I feel It's so far away I'm a bad dream that I just had today And you shake your head You said it's a shame Spin me back down the years and the days of my youth Draw the lace and black curtains and shut out the whole truth Spin me down the long ages, let them sing the song Jeff Rattle, thick as a brick, or a part of it anyway. <laughs> it's a long album, can't fit it all in the show. Uh, well, now, we've uh, we've heard all about the good old days of Jeff Rattle. It's probably about time we covered what's new. So, I'll tell you what, why don't why don't we just ask the man himself? Let's ask Ian Anderson, since we've got him here. Phoenix 98FM. So, yeah, looking forward, you've got uh, you've got a couple of tours coming up next year. Well, yeah, we, we're just, just finishing off this year. I did a um, three cathedrals last week and uh, next well actually later this week now i go off to italy to do uh, some uh, fundraising concerts there including a, a very ni- nice church in parma in the north of italy lovely and then uh, arrive home on the 22nd of december which is my daughter's birthday and, uh, and then it's christmas break bit of work in the studio and then we start touring again with a new production tour in uh, the end of february so a lot of work to do between now and then, doing all the prep and the videos and all the stuff we have to do for uh, for next year's tours. Yeah. So I understand it's going to be more of an uh, intimate performance. Well, there's, there's Q&A, roughly yeah. speaking, there are four kinds of four kinds of concerts we're doing next year. There's the ones that you refer to, which is more of an intimate storytelling Q&A, bit of music, kind of small theatre thing. Um, and then there's the Jethro Tell uh, production dates, which are called the prog years, focusing not really on the years, more on the the progressive rock genre that, for me, goes from 1969 to the present day in terms of my musical efforts. Yeah. And um, and then there are the the more generic best of Jethro Tull shows that we do when you know summer dates out outside concerts or festivals or whatever we might do, and then. Again, a totally separate kind of concert with different repertoire for the Christmas concerts that I do next year. They will be, tickets will probably be on sale around March, April of next year. There will be Litchfield Cathedral, um, 
uh, Coventry Cathedral and St. Edmundsbury Cathedral uh, will be the UK Cathedral Days next year. And um, so they, they require a totally different musical uh, focus <laughs> yeah, yeah. and structure of a concert. And uh, usually I manage to fit in a few churches in Europe as well. So it... Um, yeah, that's part of what I do in December. It's my tithe. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's my pro bono um, bit of work where, roughly speaking, I try and make about a tenth of my my um, live performance uh, is in terms of monetary value to me. It, you know, about a tenth of it I I do as a freebie because I think I rather like the idea of the tithe is a very old-fashioned term goes back to biblical <laughs> times you know it's a it's a very old-fashioned simple way of um you know paying if you like paying a tax in my case yeah. tax on the money i i have left after i've already paid about 45 percent tax elsewhere <laughs> um, and sometimes more in other countries of the world where we pay withholding tax um, or i pay withholding tax so it's a uh, but you know i rather like the simplicity of you know doing you know, if if temp if you if you if you're able to do it, you know, not everybody is, you know, has enough surplus to be able to take that view. But I think if you, you know, if you do tolerably well in your life, financially speaking, then giving a tenth of what you earn to uh, good causes is a, is a something that I, you know, feel is um, where you can actually see where the money is being spent. Difficult for me yeah. as a taxpayer in the UK, as I have been all of my life, to know exactly where, you know, where the government want to spend it. It's um, the impossible question. Well, I, th I, I have probably given tens or hundreds of thousands of pounds towards atom bombs and nuclear submarines, you know, for my 50 years as a UK taxpayer. So yeah. I have to imagine that some of the stuff that I my tax goes towards, I might not really feel terribly good about. But, um, yeah. you know, when you're in charge of your, you know, you make your decisions who you give money to. And, uh, you know, it's like Salvation Army. You know, I've got a soft spot for them and the... Obviously, there are various other things that are a little closer to, to my home, meaning the homeless of not just Britain, but the world. And, uh, yeah, you know, that, yeah. that, that's uh, something I can feel a connection with because I made a ton of money out of a, a song called Aqualung about a homeless person. And therefore, it's a nice way to be able to give something back for my good fortune and making some money out of that. But, you know, I, I don't, don't get the idea I'm a good boy. I'm not a saint. I am, I am a sinner. <laughs> I am, I am, I am uh, I'm not a rock and roll party animal, but I'm certainly um, someone who's guilty of the same, the same uh, breaking of Ten Commandments as most of us you are. are. A rock star but, in the traditional sense. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I, I introduced Hugh Cornwall the other night in uh, Wells Cathedral as, as one of the baddest boys in rock. <laughs> because Hugh is a member of the founding member of the Stranglers, I think has spent more than a night in jail and has been, you know, been a pretty bad boy in his <laughs> early years. Mark Armand too, you see, a very bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I can't touch them in, in in terms of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But <laughs> I'm sure I make up for it in other in other moral uh, moral inconsistencies. <laughs> <laughs> Warriors, head to long, long, long. Warriors, Warriors drown the 
Unfashionable to the end. Drag his eye to light. Dance at bells, buckle yesterday's dreams. The transport cap, profit of them. Ringing the change in his double turn. Still letting you in the churches, so that's all right. You can't can't be that bad. Well, I I, I often I think you know in a quite serious way. I do try and think every day of the bad things I've done every day, and you know there are usually a few um, that I can be very, very self-critical of. But um, unfortunately, it doesn't stop me necessarily doing the same thing again tomorrow. <laughs> um, I mean, I have a horrible habit of, of shouting out, "Oh, bugger!" Um, 
um, which is you know not a terrible thing to say, but it's just one of those things that I often think, well, I shouldn't have done that. You know, everybody <laughs> heard me. Even the cats put their paws over their ears at some of my profanities. But uh, I, I don't use, I don't do them on stage anymore. Not not since um, not since uh, I I discovered that. You know, people who, comedians who have to use four-letter words to get a laugh, there is something, uh, something a bit sad about that. And, yeah, um, don't always uh, need there, it. there are those who've, who've managed to take that out of their act and still be very, very funny people without actually lapsing into the profanities. I, I, guess, I guess Billy, Billy Connolly is the, is the person that we, we have to say, well, that's him you know we have to accept that that, that that's that's what comes out of his mouth it, it's uh yeah and and usually he kind of keeps it in a funny context but uh so often many 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 uh people either on stage as rock musicians or as uh professional comedians do rely on obscenity to somehow get this weird connection with an audience i i think i've i think i've tamed that um largely um <laughs> but um according to my wife i i need to work on my my non-public persona to clean up my language <laughs> <laughs> draw well, from I, the stage I, I, this, is, this is all coming from someone by the way who I, i've heard her say a few pretty pretty bad words you know when she's uh, <laughs> messed up something in the kitchen or you know accidentally deleted a file on her computer here in the office so uh, yeah <laughs> uh, she taught you all the bad words that's probably what it was yeah well i can try that one i don't think it'll pass muster <laughs> phoenix 98 fm talking about comedy and billy Connolly with ian anderson now there's a conversation i never in a million years would have thought i would ever be a part of <laughs> only only on Phoenix FM oh dear now we talked a lot about Jeffro Toll but there have been a few solo albums as well uh, and the most recent Ian Anderson solo venture was Homo Erraticus where he's incorporated a splash of heavy metal into the folk rock soup uh, from the album out in 2014 this is Ian Anderson all by himself Doggerland <laughs> Retreating ice and snow Left us breathing high and dry Lance in the scalp of flow The seeds of Albion wind blow free Scattered to the moors Argument beneath the sunny deep West outer oaks will grow All across the Dunder land Onwards to another 
good place, a place to raise a roof And these four walls to shelter us upon this blessed plot This earth is well receiving good Island alone, aloof All across the dollar land All across the four tides Across with more and elk and wolves Take the islands near and wide I read somewhere that there's a, there's a possibility of a new album coming too. There's always a possibility of a new album. I was actually playing <laughs> two tracks on somebody else's album last night, and as so often happens, I get caught up with all these other things that I do, uh, not the least of which, of course, is, is traveling and touring and performing, and I keep putting off you know, those days to complete the album I started in 2017, which I have yet to finish. But um, I'm hoping this uh, January and February I shall be able to largely get that done with a view to hopefully a uh, a record release sometime around the end of September next year. Mm. But uh, you do have to plan things so far in advance in terms of um, of writing, recording, release dates. It used to be you could knock these things off in a few weeks back when there were yeah. there were hundreds of pressing plants around the world. Now there are only one or two, you know, in Germany, mm. uh UK, couple in america you know if you want to and people of course want a vinyl album 
Um, yeah, yeah, and so of, now we are our lead time for manufacturing has gone from four weeks to twelve weeks because the queue of people waiting to have their vinyl album pressed and manufactured in the very few facilities that exist um, it's a it's a big big blockage and uh, people don't understandably they're not happy about the idea that they can download it online and then they wait for a few more weeks and they can get a cd and then they wait for a few more weeks and they might get the vinyl version they they want them they want that choice all to happen at the same time yeah you know it's a bit like going into you know sainsbury's and looking for your favorite breakfast cereal and they say well uh, um, uh, that one should be back in stock in six weeks time but why in the meantime why don't you try the um <laughs> you know the um cornflakes with um all brand or something instead you know you you don't want to have to wait everybody wants it they want it now yeah i just went online to try and buy a christmas present for my wife which i found last week and thought well i won't order it yet in case she doesn't like it and needs to send it back within the 14 day period only to try and do that today <laughs> to find that her size isn't available anymore oh, no. from the one and only designer manufacturer and so it's really really annoying that you know i may not it may be months before it comes back into stock. Oh, is, you'll be in trouble now. Well, I won't be in trouble. This is, you just won't, won't know about it. I shall just get her the, um, you know, the lady stinkies from the body shop or something. I have to manage with that. <laughs> That'll do. As long as it's not petrol station flowers, you'll be right. Well, um, we, we, we do a kind of family Christmas, but we largely sort of backpedal a bit on presents these days compared to overdoing it in years gone by. So I always think two or three little nice gifts are, yeah. uh, are really somehow more appropriate if, um, you know, in terms of the Christian Christmas rather than lavishing endless amounts of pointless disposable yeah. toys and throwaway things and, you know, things that you just somehow don't really need. I think the tendency we all... We all go a bit nuts at Christmas and maybe uh, maybe over, overdo it a bit. Too true, too true. Just one violin, that's enough, isn't it? That one violin is a one violin too many if you're in my <laughs>
Thank you so much for chatting to us. Yeah, good to talk to you too. Have a Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. Yes, you too. Have a great Christmas. Cheers. Bye-bye now. Bye. This is Phoenix FM. That pretty much brings us to the end of our Jeff Rotol special here on the As Yet Untold Rock Show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Learned or discovered something new. Uh, it was a total privilege to talk to Ian, and as you could probably tell, I was a little bit starstruck in places, uh, but hopefully I managed to hold it all together just about. A uh, massive thank you to him for coming on the show and uh, and letting me hold him captive on the phone for uh, probably well over my time limit. Also, a quick thanks to Paul and to Sharon for making it happen. What a finale to an amazing light-up of guests I've had the pleasure of, uh, of meeting and chatting to on this show and on Phoenix FM in general. It's been amazing. Uh, as you heard from the man in the myth, the legend himself, you can see the Ian Anderson on Jethro Toll Tour. If you're local to us in the show, then he'll be at Southend Palace Theatre on the 18th of May. He'll be in Guildford the day after the 19th of May. Uh, in London at Beck's uh, Blackheath Halls on the 17th of May. Uh, all over the place as well. He's in Lincoln, Leeds, Cheltenham, Bristol, Yeovil. Uh, so you want to go see that. That starts in April and goes on from the 20th of April. It starts in Yeovil and uh, ends on the 19th of May at Guildford. Um, and you can also catch the Prog Years Tour, which is 11 dates across the UK in September and October, uh, drawing heavily on material from Jeff Rotol's more prog albums, uh, focusing on the early heavy hitters of the Jeff Rotol catalogue. That tour starts in September um, in Aylesbury and uh, goes on uh, right through uh, most of the early part of October. You can catch there if you're local to the show, uh, London's Shepherd's Bush Empire on the 8th of October. They're also in, uh, where else? Bath in October, Reading, Poole, Glasgow, Perth, uh, Blackburn, Leicester, all over, all over the UK. Uh, so if you want to head anywhere to get your tickets, then go to the Jethro Toll website, which is Jethro Toll. Com. That concludes our Jeffro Toll special. Signing off from the Agile Total Rock Show. Thank you for joining me. Uh, make sure you join us again next week for our last show of the year. Uh, what I'm going to call the Agile Untitled Rock Show of the year, because it's going to be that good, obviously. Uh, we're taking a look back at all the greatest rock singles released in 2019. So it's a two-hour recap 
of the year. So uh, if you're new to the Azure Untitled Rock Show, then you can pretty much catch up on a whistle-stop tour of the, all the greatest things we've discovered this year. There's been so many great rock singles that we'll be playing next week. Uh, I've discovered some amazing stuff. Uh, until then, from me, a very Merry Christmas. Party hard, rock on, and uh, see you on the other side. We're going to sign off with uh, one last Jeffro Toll song. Thanks for joining me, and thanks again to the rock legend that is Ian Anderson for coming on the show and chatting to us. Oh my God, that just happened. Uh, playing us out rather appropriately, Jethro Toll. My God. My God, see you next week.
You're still there. Yes, I am. Fantastic. Cool. Thank you for bringing us. That's your second cool of the morning. And maybe a few more that I didn't get to hear. <laughs> Do you know the origin of um, people saying cool? Cool? No, I don't. You don't? Well, Mad Magazine, circa late 50s. It was um, part of the post... Well, it's kind of the beat generation thing, the, the era of Jack Kerouac and so on. And the word cool slipped into that kind of beatnik prose. Um, right back then, and then it, it lingered for a while into pop culture and then disappeared for a long time. But amongst a younger generation, of which I'm sure you're a part, it then surfaced again in a big way. And so uh, cool is now something that uh, you hear from people, you know, 20s and 30s year olds. And, um, and I'm often reminded of the fact that some of these terms, you know, they... Uh, 
they they go back a long way as being the pop jargon of their <laughs> first era. They were cool once and they're cool again. Yeah, indeed they are. But so Fab and Gear happily have not really made a recurrence, uh, a resurgence yet. So um, the, uh, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> Still working the, on them. the mid to late 60s, you know, were, were um, uh, some of the terms that were, were used were particularly irritating <laughs> not as irritating as starting every every journalist every uh, pundit every politician uh, when asked a question begins the answer with so yeah, so which so. I, for some reason just really <laughs> me off <laughs> I hate that anyway carry on phoenix 98 fm Go to phoenixfm.com and listen to online guest interviews. Check the events for your area and listen to great radio online. 